Ah, hello. Welcome to Optimism Vaccine. Uh, this is obviously your, your very usual high-energy host, uh, Adam Myros. I, uh, Steve can't be here today. It's, it's a damn shame. I will have to soldier on without him. So we're going for a little more uh, NPR feel here. Uh, <laughs> joining me for this very, very important podcast is uh, we have Jack Eason, as per usual. How are you doing, Jack? I'm pretty good, Adam. I like the NPR feel. It's good. Uh, you know, I, I try my best. I, I just don't have the same uh, DJ energy that Steve brings to the table. <laughs> uh, we also have, as per usual, Jake Tropila. How are you doing, Jake? I'm doing fine, Adam. Thanks for uh, thanks for hosting. And uh, it's too bad Steve couldn't join us because I think this is a very uh, a very stellar lineup of films we have in front of us. That's true. You know, when he exits, we we bring in some actual films to talk about. You know, we don't have to keep going on yeah. about this fucking Godzilla trash and whatnot. S- Steve ah. says, "Watch trash." We all say, "No." <laughs> Uh, also back from the abyss, you know, he, he's finishing his travels, uh, presumably will be, uh, regularly on going forward here, uh, returning Sean Glynis. What, what is the call for this sudden switch into good content that you're watching? Isn't this your idea? Yeah, I think you heralded this. Oh, interesting. We were just trying to figure out a way to uh, hook you back oh, I in. I see what so, he did. You, know, I, yeah, you guys just walked right <laughs> into that one, didn't you? Well, we Sean was not tolerant of our fucking Mortal Kombat cast, and et cetera, et cetera. But we needed, we needed him back in the fold. We got to bring in some uh, good films once it's in a while. It's interesting, but I, I'm just saying there's, there's a correlation between me returning and you guys returning to good quality content. Uh, but correlation does not mean causation. It doesn't, but there's something to be looked at there. Hmm. And I'm sure if we looked at the, I'm sure if we looked at the analytics, there's probably a corollary there too. Uh, but what were you gonna say, Miles? Oh, I, I was just gonna say, Sean, that the quality of of the material does not equal quality <laughs> of content. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, I can't promise much today. Yeah, this could very well be our worst episode. Who's to say? Mm. Uh, but we are talking. Uh, quality films Uh, we are starting an exploration that's gonna last really this entire month uh we're we're gonna do some johnny toe because uh who doesn't like some good hong kong action uh we have picked four for each episode here and we're, we're gonna start with a a pretty interesting selection probably some ones a lot of people have not seen uh none of the the real heavies, I guess. Uh, although I think Exile is is pretty big one, but uh, these are some of his lesser known releases, I would say. Ah, uh, but they are enjoyable, and I, I think we're gonna get started with a pair of films. We'll start with uh, with The Mission from 1999. Ah, uh, but these are probably the most accessible and traditional of of the four here, uh, as far as Hong Kong action films. And uh, they're both excellent stuff. Uh, let's get going on the mission. Jack, I'm going to let you get started on this. What What is the mission and why should we care? <laughs> well, the mission is a very straightforward mission, really. It's a group of guys are assembled to protect a triad leader. There's a hit out on him. Multiple attempts have been made on his life. So he gathers some kind of old friends and, and confidants, people he trusts who are 
kind of some know each other, but they they are all somewhat mysterious wait, 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 to each other. So, but they're so all. So I watched the Roland Yaffe film for no yeah, reason. Yeah, no, the the panpipe work, excellent, top notch. <laughs> um, yeah, and that, that's that's what happened. And Robert De Niro shows up sword halfway through. It's it's <laughs> really compelling. That, that plot beard, twist. yeah. Yeah, no. Um, so so we got these four guys who are all various uh, degrees of of kind of they know each other, but they don't know each other. But they're all united in a single cause, which is to protect this one gang boss who who has someone out in his life until they can figure out what's going on. And it's a really like it's it's an incredible film. It's it's kind of amazing how much Toe assembles from almost nothing when you watch the film. It's not like a big sprawling film. It's a very tight knit cast. Very simple set pieces but um it's kind of a surprising mixture because it really only runs i think like 85 minutes it's amazing how much downtime there is it's kind of like a hangout movie it covers a lot of these kind of quiet moments of the guys just sort of hanging out and smoking cigarettes and shooting the shit and being bored because being a bodyguard is kind of boring and then there's these incredible action sequences that are not in the John Woo mold or these much more restrained but equally stylized kind of concoctions through camera movement and just kind of angles of kind of blocking of where people are to each other rather than you know the John Woo just like everything is exploding simultaneously kind of thing um yeah it's it's a really tremendous film it's a, honestly it's a shame this isn't kind of an acknowledged classic like hard-boiled or a lot of other hong kong movies that i think distribution if this thing had come out in the 80s i think this this would be a big title in the west um i'm glad you mentioned that it was <clears throat> like threadbare uh conceptually or on paper because uh i, I was like hoping that Myros was not going to ask me uh, what it's about because, <laughs> I mean, all these films, like if you read the plot synopsis of these four, it's killers and assassinations and friends turned enemies, like rivals. Like it, it, it's it's less about what the plot is and more about the, uh, the order and honor and the rules, right, uh, that he teases out of, of these very like <clears throat> genre-heavy uh, plots. Well, you know, Sean, I'm going to be certain to kick to you to describe uh, a synopsis for Throwdown, so don't worry. God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can do that, actually. It was, it was Jake, I think, I mean, who mentioned earlier in discussion, you know, this, like, professionals. It's like, yeah, John Toe makes movies about professionals, and professionals don't tell each other what they do. They just do it, and that's, his films are almost Bressonian in that they are just people doing things, acting. They're action films of action. Uh, whether that be so i mean it's honestly almost the weight of two guys you know shooting at each other or some guys sharing out cigarettes or it's almost like a like equal weight to the the process of that unfolding on screen um and it's yeah a really fascinating kind of a balance of things yeah i i mentioned the the professionals uh bit is i i mentioned sort of in reference to michael mann in that both him and Johnny Toe have an interest in watching, uh, just watching professionals be professionals on screen. And I think the the greatest joy and success of the mission, like many other uh, Johnny Toe films, is that uh, it's just watching like these five men go to work when it it comes time to do business. Like there's this uh, just every, anytime they get involved in in some sort of shooting, they just sort of wordlessly got each other's backs and cover all exits and it's just so immaculately staged and performed it's just excellent to watch 
This is true. And it also features uh, one of cinema's great characters in James, who uh, is just eating shelled peanuts the entire time, piling them up everywhere. It's, it's he, he has an infinite supply of <laughs> peanuts in this movie. It's it's a fucking incredible character touch, which is yeah. what this movie and all of his work really excels at it, is sort of giving people these wordless traits that define them and distinguish them. And in many ways, what this movie reminded me of was less Michael Mann and more uh, Tarantino in, in many ways. Like this, I found it interesting with his early films, especially, I mean, not early, early, but the earliest that we looked at, I would say these 90s films are a little before he completely found a unique voice. Like the latter films are distinctly mm-hmm. the product of Johnny Toe, and these feel more like something that shows its influences uh, quite readily. And I, I found it interesting, this sort of like Uroboros going on between Hollywood and Hong Kong yeah. in this era, because this feels like something that is borrowing a lot from Reservoir Dogs, which of course owes its existence to, you know, Bringo Lamb's City on Fire. Uh, Hong Kong classic so it, it's just interesting I it's something I uh, will also get into I think a little with a hero never dies which feels a lot more like woo but I don't know not it, it really feels like 90s woo you know the the work that woo was doing in Hollywood it feels like there's a lot of western influence in this era of toes output but this is the stuff that was really showing through in that influence is is directly influenced by Hong Kong itself. So it's going from Hong Kong to Hollywood and back to Hong Kong through Jackie Toe. It's the with Wu, it's like everything is very hyperkinetic. Like he'll have um, Chai Yun Fat slide down a banister, shooting with two handguns at a bunch of guys at the bottom floor, and it's like it has like three hundred cuts, but it's just all very exciting. Uh, with Johnny Toe, he's characterized by stillness. Everyone is just firmly planted, feet on the ground. It actually more reminds me of, if we're just comparing to other directors, uh, Takashi Kitano, uh, namely like Sonatine, where every shooting in that movie is just, everyone is just firmly planted on the ground, guns pointed straight ahead. Nobody's like running and dodging. Everybody is just like, like just a, a firm pole i guess that that's shooting at other targets yeah that stands out incredibly in the, in the action sequences in this film there's almost no like kinetic movement in the actors it's, it's all driven through camera movement and uh that mm. can be incredibly effective this has one of the greatest action set pieces i've ever seen in my life with, with this grand mall shootout that it, it is it's just i thought it was a petite mall yeah, yeah. Uh, it is essentially, you know, like eight guys standing in place, kind of ducking behind pillars, occasionally moving and firing at each other. But it has this energy that's totally derived from the direction. And it is the way he uses reflection and the space. And yeah, yeah, that too. But it is an impressive piece of, of filmmaking. Yeah, I think the, the like, I think uh, Katano is a really a really good base for this because the like the mission really feels to me like Hong Kong Sonatine more than you know even within Katano like very much that film and that it's it's a film about a bunch of guys who have kind of chosen a milieu a life there's no way around it they're kind of bonded by the rules and the codes of their basically criminal organization um 
these guys that are chosen kind of work somewhat in the periphery. Anthony Wong, for example, has moved in. He's a hairdresser. He prefers being a hairdresser to a bodyguard, but he's really good at being a bodyguard and he's brought back in. Um, you know, and, and there's the, towards the end of the film, a subplot emerges where, which basically sets these men against each other through a, a process of honor, a, a, a kind of a, a code rule that, that has one of them breaches that has to be, you know, his death has to be executed. And there is this kind of internal movement between it because the men kind of ally off against each other, which is a really interesting subplot within the film that honestly, this is kind of like a film of four employees realizing they have more in common with each other than with their boss. I mean, this is almost like gangster office space, almost in in, a, in the, the wildest reading of it. But like Sonatine, it's a film of little moments of these little grace notes of just guys just kind of sitting around kind of sharing a space, kind of being mysterious to each other, but also absolutely bonded to each other by similar decisions and fates and weights in the world. Um, and it's just really compelling. I know that there's a certain element, I guess, of macho fantasy. You know, guys are like a guy's movie. is like it's all about, you know, killing people and having a gun and being cool and dying and stuff like that. And then, you know, most of us work office jobs and we just hang out, uh, you know. But there is the underlying kind of kinship that I guess men have kind of cultivated, that's kind of cool, uh, you know, that we don't, you know, there, there are these certain shared bonds, but guys don't talk in depth about them. And I mean, the mission is not a dialogue heavy film. There's a lot of scenes of guys just literally just kind of hanging out, talking about something else, but the under the subtext is clear, you know, to, to they're alluding to something else. It's just a really, I mean, honestly, I like this is just, it's a, fantastic film to me this is just one of those films that's like 85 minutes without a step wrong it's just heavenly to watch and like you mentioned that mall shootout which is really just created like you say it's just a couple of guys standing around and just the camera slowly moving in on certain shots and it is unquestionably one of the greatest action set pieces that has ever been put in cinema you know like it, it's that good i'm not kidding and it's created out of I, I watched heat again last weekend and you know heat has that phenomenal heist shootout and it's incredible don't get me wrong like michael mann is on top form but there, and there's so many moving parts and it's organized and it's just an incredible piece of work but toe creates something of similar weight uh, using just almost nothing it's it's incredible just like a couple of guys standing in an empty space and he just divides it out and it's just quietly builds um it just a oh god you know whenever you talk about like what does a director do it's like what johnny toe does is what a director does like that's what it's about if you ever doubt a director's having a job check one of these movies out. I, I think I was uh, really taken with that, um, especially in, in Exiled and uh, Hero Never Dies as well, which we'll get to, but just the use of space in those is just like um, really miraculous or the way that he can turn a frame from crowded to empty or he can shoot a building to look like it's like, it, it, to make a, like a scope frame look like it's like in academy ratio somehow. And it's just like, what? How how is this happening? This is probably the the most important thing we should uh, highlight here is that um, even if we have different films to discuss, the the reason why I'm excited to talk Johnny Toe is because the biggest draw is the filmmaking. 
he his work is like just so consistently electrifying just for the reasons Sean described and just the way he like stages every single mo- movement and moment. And it, it really it really just embarrasses a lot of other filmmakers. Like, why? Why would you bother trying after you watch a Johnny Toe movie? Um, you know, the staging of the, the mall sequence is excellent, but there's also there's two other fantastic sequences where they're like hiding in this like alley with these parked cars trying to avoid a sniper on the roof and the way the guys sort of maneuver around the cars and one of them runs behind a tarp up on a fence to try to move down closer and just how like everything is just so like perfectly in lockstep it just seems like he plans his movies out to the tiniest detail and i i just the world needs more filmmakers like him it's we would be so much better off if movies were this good which is incredible to say because, um, I mean, it's worth noting, I believe the mission was like, it's not a, a lofty production. I mean, I know we're, we're bringing this, this episode is kind of our intro to Johnny Toe. So we should maybe just mention a few just things about him and we'll, we'll bounce back in other episodes to some earlier and later work. But Johnny Toe is probably best known in Hong Kong cinema because he, he created his own production company, Milky Way um, Productions with Waka Fai. And they, that was like 1996. And so they, they kind of create this very distinctive voice, um, but they're not a big budget studio. That's not what they do. And the mission, I believe, was like improvised over like 12 days. Like they didn't really have a script. And it seems like Johnny Toe films routinely just write the scenes that morning you know they're so so what jake when you say like they're incredibly well planned and they are they have to be visually they're not planned from a script standpoint they're not planned like i guess the traditional way you do it he creates on the spot it seems to at least to some large degree uh, a lot of the films are credited uh, the writing is credited to the milky way creative team so there's kind of just a group effort. There's several writers acknowledged with it and Johnny Toe himself and probably the actors who come in to create these sequences. Uh, it's a, it's an unusual way to work in Hong Kong cinema. And Johnny Toe as well came up through, he started in television, uh, which I imagine is incredibly hectic in Hong Kong. And I think brought that work ethic into films when he started making feature films really in the late 80s. And he kind of worked with Cinema City and Choi Hawk and so on. Um that he, you know, Adam, you mentioned earlier about like his influence of Western films. And I'm like, I'm not sure Johnny Toe has room to watch movies. Like I'm, he probably, he must do, but like he is incredibly prolific. He's almost like a Hong Kong Takashi Miike character. Like he's always making movies. Um, I was listening earlier to Frank Jen, a Chinese film critic and programmer talking about, uh, Johnny Toe's career and saying that he reckons one of the reasons Toe is not better known in the West and his films aren't more distributed is because Toe literally doesn't make the time to come over to America or Europe to talk about his movies because he's too busy making other movies. And if you look at his career, I mean, it's it's Milky Way balances this incredible balancing act of making these very low key, often gangster oriented films like The Mission and Exiled and uh, PTU and so on. And then they also make a lot of like broad comedies and uh, Chinese New Year films, which are a big event in China, very populist, crowd pleasing films. Um, they're striking that balance and kind of maintain that creative voice. Um, and Toad does every like he's directs all of these films. Almost all of Milky Way's films are directed by him. Several of the films in Milky Way that are credited to other directors, Toad directed them too. He took them over. <laughs> he couldn't. He couldn't let go of the reins. Um, so yeah, like it's incredible. He just seems to 
And he just seems to show up on set and just make films just from the ground up, just build them. And it is when you watch these films, they feel so ordered and controlled and and just immaculate. And yet clearly he is just shooting from the hip to some degree, just working off of his own understanding of how it must cut together and what he needs to do. Um, so, I mean, ultimately, just say Johnny Toe is is just a master craftsman and i think even if you hated his movies there's no way you could look at what he does and not understand that this guy is just an incredible craftsman oh who's gonna hate his movies i mean i guess if you're just disinterested in crime movies i I feel like you'd at least find something to appreciate because it is brief and it's not like over stimulating in the way that some woo can be uh it, it, for a hong kong action film there's there's a great deal of stillness in his work and yeah i mean when i say western influence i might be entirely wrong I, it could just be the sort of evolution of that hong kong style paralleling uh what was coming out of hollywood at the time because i mean both both directors i'm setting are certainly one is a graduate of the hong kong industry and, and one is very obviously influenced by that entire movement of the 80s yeah i I have no idea frankly it's just it's just curious because i know he he doesn't seem to make a lot of space for anything other than making the next movie sure he's clearly interested in western film it it, it seems to be writ large on his filmography he he must be there there's certainly i mean we won't talk about this episode like sparrow clearly his umbrellas of (laughs) sherbourg of all movies uh, attached to it so there's definitely touchstones i just it's kind of funny that he just seems to be so quintessentially Mm -hmm. a hong kong director but also kind of a guy who came up in a very transitional period for hong kong cinema because hong kong cinema really kind of peaked in the early 90s kind of the industry hit its absolute you know apogee of production quality and resources and then really with the anxiety of the the uh, British handover back to mainland China and then subsequently um, various economic kind of difficulties oh and also triad involvement apparently was a massive issue Uh, really stripped the Hong Kong industry to being kind of you know it's a it's a shadow of what it used to be in the 80s and the early 90s and but but johnny toe has managed to kind of just keep moving through it and churning out films that uh clearly are not seeding quality to anyone uh yeah well i we should get moving around a bit of a tight window here but i think uh we'd be remiss if we did not mention at the very least uh chi wing chung's very bizarre score for this film uh it's not going to be for everyone but i i I was saying it kind of reminded me a lot of uh, James Horner's work in Commando with the like sort of oppressive steel drums overlaid over everything, which can be Electronic steel drum, disruptive on, on first viewing. Steel drums forever, baby. That's what uh, I say. Yeah, but I, I think once you get on its wavelength, it, it's something fairly remarkable. So, uh, Anyone else have a, a soundtrack comment before we move on to Exile here? Uh, you, well, you may have heard it that the opening theme at the top of this podcast, if you're, if you're wondering what that was, that was a sampling. Well, I guess I'm <laughs> locked into that edit now. <laughs> right on. Well, shall we? Yeah. Uh, speaking of, of Western influence, how about Western the <laughs> genre? Because that certainly influenced our next film here, which is essentially, if not in conception, in execution, a, a very neat companion to the mission some uh, eight years later, I believe. Uh, this is 2006 Exiled. Uh, Jake, what do you think of this one? 
Yeah, well, uh, definitely a spiritual successor to the mission. Um, four four men show up at a house waiting for the occupant. Uh, two of them are there to kill him. The other two are there to save him. Uh, we quickly learn that after a short gunfight that uh, they were all childhood friends. They were grew up in the same gang together. And then the man who was targeted is wanted for dead because he betrayed the boss. And so they decide to band together and protect him against the onslaught of triad forces that is going to come for them for betraying the, the mission, basically. And it is, uh, again, just near two hours of totally perfect staging of of characters in rooms and where everything erupts into the most beautifully choreographed gunfire you will ever see. Where blood is a red chalk. Blood is a, a nice powder, yeah, that just bursts it's, out of your It's chest. a really cool, like, martial arts effect because in martial arts films, mm-hmm. you use a lot of, like, talcum powder to emphasize hits, you know, and it puffs mm. off on the impact and really reads on screen. And yeah, he just, the blood is like a dust puff. Um... Exiled is a kind of movie that honestly is, it reminds me of the Frank Zappa quote, you know, they're like uh, talking about music is like dancing about architecture. Yeah. Like honestly, talking <laughs> about Exiled is like just watch, like look at this fucking movie. It's great because I, I was just uh, rewatching um, Once Upon a Time in the West for the first time since I was like a late teen. And um, mm. that in itself was a revelation. And um, but watching that in close proximity to this and just saw like uh obviously you have like the duster jackets and 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 the killers um and whatnot but um just the the pacing is just like uh so close um and so similar in that he's just watching like everything is done through gestures and sound um there's so little dialogue and so little like information given vocally and just thinking about like that beginning, like I don't know, twenty minutes of uh, of the uh, Leone Western, where it really is just these guys sitting in a station, looking at each other every once in a while, and you hear all these sounds, but like you're you're getting all this information, um, and it's like the same thing here, where uh, especially specifically the beginning um, before they're they're going to do this hit on this uh, old friend of theirs. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the whole film throughout. It's just so much is done through gestures and, you know, people are in a room looking at each other, uh, conveying information not only to us, but to each other, what they what they want to do, what's going to happen. Um, but also we should mention that there's a bit of, uh, which is not uncommon in, in Toe's films. It's just uh, different how it pops up, but there's like some uh quote unquote magical realism thrown in uh pretty early we get this sense obviously there's the chalk bit the the blood but um there is just like playing with gravity and the the hitman's ability to manipulate gravity um and it's it, it's not like too heavy throughout but it's just there and it's it, it it's just this consistent playfulness in um toe's films that i really look forward to Actually, they they confirmed that the door thing can happen on Mythbusters. I don't know if you saw that episode. <laughs> no, was that part of the curriculum for today? <laughs> yeah, they did a special uh, Hong Kong action episode where, uh, yeah, they they no, but uh, that yeah, that door just like being blown off of its hinges and just rotating in midair in tandem mm-hmm. with big bullets hitting it. 
It's just, and that's like in the first 15 minutes too. It's just such an incredible, incredible thing that happens. Yeah. And then the movie keeps going. It, it has this sudden shift uh, while you're still trying to figure out exactly what is going on um, between like them going to do this hit on this guy that turns out to be this guy that they've known for a long time and are close with to like this extremely warm, familial scene of them repairing all the damage that they did in the house um, and taking pictures together. And it, it like, it's one of those things that it's done up top, this like very warm scene. And it's like the only warmth really like that sort of congenial forward scene. Um, but it casts such an umbrella emotionally over the rest of the film. Yeah. There's, there's an understanding within this film um and yeah, it alternates between that even in that warm, very warm scene, Anthony Wong, I mean, the, many of the recurring actors, uh, this is a real successor to the, uh, the mission and that made the same people show up again, not the same characters, but you could you could picture them being almost the same characters or in the same kind of roles. Anthony Wong is kind of the most hardened professional killer again of the group but the most you know, kind of bound to order and still in the in this warm kind of they've patched up the guy's house and they're talking and he just kind of again reminds them it's like look i i will have to kill you at some point those are the rules that's the job um and again it has that kind of trajectory of the mission that it's a group of men realizing that the bonds the fraternal bonds of of the triad gangs don't really play to their benefit they have these res the responsibilities they find to each other outweigh a responsibility to a boss uh, which ultimately is a betrayal within the system and and makes them outcasts makes them exiled um and the film itself takes place in macau rather than hong kong so it's it's in a kind of a a a separate space to where these you know normally would be these films normally unfold a very scenic space um but you know the gangsters very clearly are hong kong based they've come here because that's where uh the one guy who has broken some rule has has kind of found himself landed himself um, and they they come after him um yeah, it's again, this has this very strong... To me, when I first saw this, several many years ago at this point, this really felt like Takeshi Kitano's kind of uh, gunfights. The, the, the action in this is absolutely kind of stylized in that fashion where, where there's just kind of... The blocking essentially creates these kind of, you know, angles of where people are all standing. There's kind of a unity and a disparity. They, you know, it's it's like two guys in different sides of a room shooting at each other. And, you know, maybe like four guys on one side of the room and 300 guys on the other side of the room. And they're all just shooting at each other while standing in space. And then the way that it's caught and blocked and created, it creates this kind of that these four men are like some kind of unit, singular block against adversity. And um, it's just, uh, you know, frankly, you know, this is a master class of, of filmmaking. Like, my mm -hmm. God, there's there's a restaurant shoot. There's there's a, a sequence in a doctor's office. And frankly, the doctor's office is the most bizarre thing since mm -hmm. eyes without a face or whatever. Or sorry, face of another. The other one, uh, you know, like it's, it's a doctor's office just full of of curtains just everywhere and partitions and like doors in the middle of nothing it's just his his like apartment that's just been refitted for like an <laughs> underground this is where the you the triads go to, if then they get an injury this is where they go to get because they can't go to a hospital right they just there's this quack who yeah 
he's represented on the, on the DL. And yeah, the the overall tone. Then I, you know, and I think Sean, your 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 Leone reference, I think, is spot on. There's kind of this elegiac kind of of uh, tone to it. It's sort of a death knell. We know we know it's not gonna like these guys aren't walking out of this. Um, but it's kind of that question of what is the weight of being on this earth? There's this kind of grand, grander existential element to it. It's like, what do we owe to each other? Where do we go? And of course, the the man that they're first sent to kill has a, has a child. And, you know, they were all children. They knew each other as young men, you know, young boys. What becomes them? And it reminded me a lot of, and I actually ended up watching it right afterwards, you know, for the first time in, God, nearly 15 years, because it just reminded me so much of it, of uh, Takashi Miike's Dead or Alive 2 which is a similar film, similar in theme, very different in execution, but kind of like how an action movie ostensibly, but really a film about the cumulative weight of your actions on Earth, a kind of a moral play, um, and yeah. just dressed up in the most beautiful way. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You kind of were getting to something that I I just barely got to dip my toes in the in Stephen uh, Teo's book on Johnny Toe, but um, he was just talking about how how much his films were marked by fatalism or like this fatalistic hero uh as opposed to uh or which like set him apart from someone that was as stylized as as uh, John Woo but um these guys know in in this film uh, as well as something like a hero never dies um that like from the beginning their life is is limited right so then like the, their life it becomes less about staying alive um, and it's just ordered by other things like here, I guess they're trying to keep somebody else alive and trying to provide for, for his family. Right. It's just an interesting shift in priorities or preoccupations within his, his films. And it makes his character so interesting that they act not according to their own survival, which I think is unusual for Western audiences. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the structure of these feels very unusual as someone who's more accustomed to Western film, I suppose. But it's just, you you never can get a bead on exactly where these plots are going. Like, this feels like yeah a, a film that exists as an archetype. And yet, it, it kind of keeps you off balance the entire time. You, you're like, okay, well, they're, they're, they're going to band together to save their friend. Nope. Oh, they're going to band together to provide <laughs> for his family. And it's like, uh, well, really, I, I guess in the end, but it sure doesn't feel that way for like 90% All of, a sudden of they're like on a gold <laughs> rush or whatever. Yeah, like, they're just flipping a coin to decide where to go. <laughs> it's like wandering. It's there's, a mad, there's a mad mission and they make a friend on us, which <laughs> is a really yeah. weird uh, thing, but it, it kind of, it scans really well. And again, honestly, Leone is, I think, a very good match of that that's kind of like you know hey we're robbing this but you you know security guard you seem to know your stuff with a gun and everything and you know you also know you're just another you're just another salary man so why don't we just band together and take the gold and the, yeah the, there's everyone's kind of just establishing their relationship to each other and ultimately it just comes down to that there's this uh over like there's an overarching plot of basically that this hong kong gang gangster played by simon yam the irrepressible uh, omnipresent Simon Yam of Hong Kong. Always a pleasure to see him on screen, honestly. I could watch the guy forever. And he's the Hong Kong uh, boss, and he comes in, he comes into Macau, and he basically tells the biggest gangster in Macau, it's like, listen, 
you kick over to me and we'll take over the whole place. But if you resist me, I'll kill you. And that's, you know, there's this gang overtake. And these four men just kind of realize it's like they're Simon Yam's employees. But there's this realization that honestly, you, there's no recipro reciprocity between this. That, you know, they don't really, if they gave him what they owe him according to the rules, they won't get back anything worthwhile. And it's kind of, yeah, like this kicking down a generation. It's sort of they realize they're in a dead end situation because of what they've allied themselves to. But, you know, the future is unwritten for the child. What's the value of a child? And it sounds really cheesy when you put it like that. But the film weighs everything up. So and, and also lays in, you know, these just little difficult things. I think a Johnny Toe, like the role of women is very yeah very interesting they're, they're i mean these are absolutely masculine films about men but the women play key roles throughout as just kind of honestly as like uh sort of on just be being let down frankly and being sure. pushed aside and in the mission for example uh you know the gangster boss at one point just kills his wife because she has an affair and it's kind of that realization it's kind of a realization to the other guys i guess that like she was really just an employee too she was really just another she was on their level you know, despite being the boss's wife and, you know, this guy who they're sent to kill, his wife is kind of, she didn't sign up to this and they start to realize that there's, you know, she can't do what they're doing. They need to do something to help her. Um, and yeah, it, it's just, you know, basically that all of the pristine bonds of fraternal order don't actually help people, and I guess, and it creates a lot of problems and these are the tensions the films explore. I, I also like um, quickly, like uh, while you're talking about the women, specifically in Exiled, if we want to talk about the Western as well, like you have this uh, this character, this woman who's left with nothing but her child, you know, her fa her her husband and, and, and the father of her child is taken away from her. And she's just, you know, there's these shots of her in the window and she has, um, you know, that's very easily seen in, in the the canon of westerns but also i love this like house that acts like a saloon right like where you have the prostitute in the top you know um like or the the, the sex worker upstairs who's like always looking over the banister but she's like on the margins in this very interesting way where like you're not you, you don't forget that she is plotting her own ideas about like how to get the hell out of there and also get herself some money um and then obviously the end plays out uh, pretty satisfyingly um, in ways that involve her. But um, yeah, it, I, I just really liked the the use of that setting. And it also kind of reminded me of like the the King Who like um, house or or not house, but like restaurant bar type of location. Yeah the uh, the clinic scene deserves a special mention. I think as as being just so tense and wonderfully blocked and it's just it's a brilliant action set piece certainly my favorite in this film uh this might be my least favorite of the bunch i think because it, it is a little more normal you know it, it is uh, probably the most traditional narrative film of the bunch but it also manages to be probably the most emotionally impactful so it, it's probably a very excellent entry point if you're interested in toe's work but uh for me, give me some of this weirder shit. Uh, speaking of, A Hero Never Dies. Uh, this is a 1998 film, uh, and it's very strange. And it, unlike some of the other stuff where we're talking about differentiating Toe from John Woo, this one 
feels of a piece with with Wu's Hong Kong output and well, frankly, a lot of his American output as well. I'm gonna go back to Jack on this one. He likes to talk. Jack, what uh, sure. what is a hero never dies? <laughs> a hero never dies is I like you say absolutely. This is um quintessential heroic bloodshed cinema. It's a story of two triad leaders kind of the i guess senior leaders but not like the full boss and they're they're friends but they are members of separate gangs so we understand that at some point they will have to face off against each other uh, both their bosses uh consort with a fortune teller in thailand they've been engaged in a long-running feud these two gangs so they 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 are in opposition, but they, they these men have maintained something of a of a, a brotherhood or a friendship. But of course, we as we all know, it just it won't work. And eventually, there is a massive move to between the two gangs to kill each other, uh, leading to both men being very seriously injured. One loses his legs um, in in a horrific attack. And uh, the bosses then patch things up. They start to realize, you know what, this is too much. This is, you know, we've lost too many men. They patch up, they make amends, they join forces. They come to new prosperity in Hong Kong, opening a new saloon casino thing. I don't exactly know what the business model is. It's very ornate. We know that much. Uh, and they kind of cast aside these two men who have survived the attack because they're kind of embarrassments now, you know, especially a man with no legs. He's a cripple. You know, he's, he doesn't he has no place in the new order. And so ultimately, the two men start to realize that they, you know, they've been lost of everything. Uh, even worse stuff happens. Honestly, both of them have girlfriends. And I mean, the, this is a Shakespearean tragedy. One of the girlfriends is burned horribly by hitmen. The other is murdered by the boss outside his own business on opening night. Would you think the police would have a tr even the police would have difficulty covering that up? But apparently in Hong Kong, who knows? So both these men basically again decide, as it seems to be a theme in these movies, that their bosses have to go, and it it ends in a massive John Woo-esque gunfight in a kind of conceptual empty space nightclub where the only people there are are gangsters. Every table has a glass partition on it that could explode and shatter glass everywhere. Uh, one man is in a wheelchair and, spoiler alert, at a certain point is no longer even alive and is still beating <laughs> out vengeance. Speaking that Bernie's... Yeah, it is... This is really... If you're not familiar with Hong Kong cinema uh, and the heroic bloodshed genre, and it's certainly something that can take a lot of adjustment if you're not used to that, because they're films that that seem to seem to link to a very Western model of you know action movies of like this guy is good, this guy's bad, good fights bad, the winner. But in Hong Kong, the heroic bloodshed is like good fights bad, and in the end, everyone loses horrifically because the system is so fucked up. That that's just yeah. the, the tragedy and fatalism of it. And this also, I mean, just to throw this out, uh, this film, 1998, is one year after Hong Kong's handover to mainland China, which was, you know, a hugely uh, anxious event for Hong Kong. You know, the future was utterly unknown uh, to move from being a British colony, which, you know, afforded certain kind of lifestyles and 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 I uh, freedoms or at least kind of a style of life they had no idea what was coming and I think this film absolutely breeds with the with the kind of uncertainty of that and it is 
yeah, I mean, it's this is just it's gunfight, it's blood, it's violence, it's horrific, and it is grand tragedy unfolding in the end. It is, uh, frankly, kind of just jarringly uh, downbeat film. Even the winds are symbolic at best. Like him in the wheelchair at the end is like he's dead and yeah. and obviously there is a, a sort of a righteous murder that he's doing in death like it it's not an actual success no, yeah. right what does it matter to the dead yeah you're right because because uh, the the running thing of this is that the two friends put aside a bottle of wine that they're going to drink in better times and in the end that bottle of wine is sitting there and there's stories and we're not even sure actually if that bottle of wine is still the same one there's a scene right. where the where the gangster bosses decide they're going to drink the wine but maybe the owner who was friends with the men swapped it out we're not 100% sure so there's a bot there is a bottle of wine with their name tag attached and younger people talk of the heroic deeds of these men but they're dead like what's what's the win you're right like it, you know at best the victories of this are hollow it was even like just well early into the film there's that great like i'm just going to it's the most destructive game of quarters i've ever seen they're playing playing with the bottle they have they each have glasses of wine that they're chucking quarters into from opposite sides of a table and just their shots get more elaborate with the placement of the glasses and again this is just the kind of like mini it's like a mini little shootout but without a single gun being fired there's like a performer in the background playing and uh it's just uh yeah i mean music in this one is is uh awesome <laughs> it's yeah it's this beautiful like lit motif that comes and goes and is like asked for and sometimes comes in kind of or half-heartedly or sometimes it's someone singing sometimes it's on the soundtrack um it's uh but when it comes out in full force it's just very moving yeah i love the score to this movie i actually like this movie a great deal it's mm -hmm. i i don't know if it's my favorite of the bunch but it might be it's uh i i think one thing that you shouldn't overlook is that it is on its surface quite grim, but it's also a very funny movie. I I don't know, especially the opening half is a lot of fun. It's yeah, not yeah, it's not yeah. like a some grim funeral dirge of a movie. That's for sure. Right. Yeah, and even throughout in, in its tragedy, I, it feels hard to think that Toe was taking himself entirely seriously when you're wheeling out this guy's corpse in a cowboy hat for a final <laughs> shootout. <laughs> Like there's a uh, there's a whimsy to it, even though it is dealing with with certainly a, a lot of violent grim matters. Certainly, there are sites in this movie you won't find anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> no question there. Yeah. Also, the way he plays with light, like um, I was kind of saying earlier about like how well he uses space. And there's like a shootout in the middle of this movie. There's like a ton of shootouts in this movie, but um, there's one in the middle that takes place in some sort of I don't know, like rundown house or something like. I, I don't I don't know some building Bayou motel or something yeah. like that and it's just like there's there's just like so many lights flickering around and different colored lights and holes being shot in the wood and um it's so balletic um even though it is in like this confined space it's 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 quite magical yeah that's a wonderful scene it's it's there's always one in in all of these movies where you're just your jaw hits the ground and you're like holy shit yeah <laughs> He does that too in the exile and maybe in the mission where just the character starts shooting out the lights just for some sort of advantage of cover. Um, and there's even a sequence in a later one of his films called Vengeance, which like there's the shootout that takes place entirely in this forest at night. 
and they're like using the cover of the clouds moving over the moon to make their movements and their take their shots. So it just even with like just not just staging, but just lighting his scenes, he's just a very intelligent filmmaker. Absolutely. And and I think it's worth noting it since this is the earliest of his films that we're talking about, this is nineteen ninety eight, so this is just before the the, uh, the mission. Um this kind of plays into kind of a recurring theme throughout many of his films, which is the disabled hero or a hero with some kind of a disability. In this case, a very literal physical disability of lacking his legs. Um, but, you know, it's kind of a recurring theme throughout not so much Exiled and The Mission, but uh, we'll talk in Throwdown, certainly. And in many of other films, even as far back as like The Big Heat in 1988, which is a film he kind of, I think Joy Hawk even has has a, an uncredited role in the direction. This was quite early in, in his his career. Uh, and Loving You would be another early, really strange transitional Milky Way film. I think there was a Milky Way movie slightly before that company was founded. But basically of characters who have some kind of an encroaching disability that forces them to reevaluate their situation. Um, and this film is, is really probably my most extreme of that. It's it's a man who loses his legs in a, in a tie. So like in the rural lands of Thailand in a horrific bloodbath because... A gangster shoots his legs out and yes from there has to completely change around everything and his 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 girlfriend has to try and help him and the women in this movie do not fare well it's a you know it's it's again it kind of again plays into kind of a social order that the men have their rules and their laws and the women try and go along with it and no one really seems to come out ahead and you know there's a morality underplaying it but really this is a, a very much uh, an archetypal heroic bloodshed film for me, and this is really, you know, kind of if you've if you've only if you've never seen any, or if you've only seen like a Better Tomorrow or Hard Boiled or The Killer, this would be a really great next step. This would really put you in there, and then check out some Corey Yun films and get real depressed. This also does uh, what I was describing with XL, where if you ask me what was going to transpire a half hour into this film i there was no way one could, would anticipate where the fuck <laughs> this film was headed because it's just the first half hour is like a big dick measuring contest between these two guys and, and it's he does such a great job of like lampshading the parallels between them and their relationship is so unique and interesting and that's when the movie is just a blast because there, there's that whole fortune teller sequence. It's it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. The second time he gets shot, I <laughs> left. There's there's something when one of the major jokes involves an old man being horrifically maimed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and then just a bunch of men going out and pissing on a tree. It's like okay, yeah, well, but yeah, it it just goes all of a sudden. It's this sort of like recovery montage and it, it even takes its time getting to being a revenge film at that stage you're kind of anticipating this team up the whole time but it, it never happens they never team up the the wheelchair man is dead before they even unite for the revenge it's just it's fascinating but uh again tight schedule let's move along i wish we could talk about a hero never dies for another hour but we must move to uh perhaps the strangest of the bunch and that's saying something yeah. uh we're talking about 2004's throwdown as promised sean uh what the hell is this movie this is about like a singer or someone who wants to be a singer and also like a judo champion who's trying to to 
get back at the contest or something. I don't know. <laughs> and basically, this ragtag group that uh, end up doing like little scams. Um, and that's about it. Uh, this is, yeah, I mean, describing the plot of Throwdown is <laughs> tricky. <laughs> I, th I actually thought when I, when, I, when I picked it with this bunch, I, I mean, I didn't know what it was other than the cover and the title, and I thought it was going to fit in pretty well with, the, um, with this sort of like muscular sense, but this actually might end up being just a good transition into next week. It, it could be a transition. Yeah. Also, Throwdown is kind of, I mean, I've heard it characterized as kind of the end of an era for, for Johnny mm. Toe. And I'm curious because I haven't seen many of his films further down the line. But, uh, I mean, if I were to characterize what is Throwdown, I would say it is Johnny Toe's life statement. It's a film about this. And this only occurred to me That's much later. Say, actually. Yeah, this, it's, this only occurred to me on. much later <laughs> watching the movie that what's the first thing? It's a movie about judo, first and foremost. And it's an ode to Akira Kurosawa, whose first film, Sanshiro Sagata, was about a judo legend in Japan who had a TV series that was very popular in Hong Kong, which is probably how maybe how Johnny Toe knows it, or maybe he firsthand knew the, the Kurosawa film as well. He obviously knows the Kurosawa film ultimately because he dedicated the film to him. So it's a movie about Hong or a movie about judo. And it occurred to me, what is later on, what is the first thing you learn in judo? And the first thing you learn in judo is you learn how to fall properly. And that, and realizing that that's what this movie is. It's a movie about learning how to fall properly when life throws you down and then you get back up. It's like Michael Caine said to Batman, that's what this movie is. Yeah. Essentially. <laughs> and it is funny because the advertising makes it look like it's a, you know, it's going to be a bunch of guys fucking each other up in Hong right. Kong. And it is even teases it like I have a judo competition later on, which never comes to fruition. <laughs> so, yeah, it's 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 the it, and that's what this is. It, and it's a film. Um, literally, you say it's a film of grace notes. It, the, the narrative thrust of this is all over the place, frankly. And it really it kind of boils down to, again, a bunch of guys who all know judo, who all went to the same judo academy, who fall on hard times. Um, again, talking about a, a character with a disability, we later learn one of the characters is has encroaching blindness and that has caused him to give up on life. He? Basically, he's <laughs> become... It's difficult to tell. One is lying and doesn't know. One is lying and saying that he's losing his sight in order to kind of create a narrative for why he wants to fight other people to be better at judo. And then he unknowingly... Does he, he unknowingly is actually mirroring the real situation of uh, Louis Ku's character, who is actually going blind, um, and has and that's why he has his nightclub and he's he's uh, basically he he's pissing away his life in this nightclub that he owns, but he's just basically running scams every day to make money to pay off people he's borrowing this is money the from. Case. I I did not pick up on this at all. I I thought that there was kind of a, a shared joke between them when he, when he declares that at the end. I I didn't see it as any sort of reality of the character well don't we see some pov stuff by the end isn't he i think by the end he's he's blind uh but but anyhow well, that's uh, why the other guy fights him blindfolded yes, right exactly yes because he, they want an even ah, they want an even match man, i'm an idiot i didn't catch this this went right over my head but the thing is you're not though because throwdown and i've watched throwdown twice and i'm still putting Same. it together and the truth of it is that Throwdown, like I say, it's a movie of grace notes. It's a ultimately a movie about just three people, two men and a woman, 
who are kind of trying to find their way in life and they just kind of hang out. And yeah, I mean, this movie apparently was very divisive in the box office, unsurprisingly, because you think it's a movie about dudes throwing each other for a purpose <laughs> and the purpose yeah. is like enlightenment but there's no bad guys in the movie even the gangsters in this movie one of whom like cuts uh like his like one dude looks like he's definitely he's a bad guy like one of his his lackeys shows up late and he just slashes him with a fucking utility knife it's horrible uh, and and honestly by the end of the movie you kind of realize he's also just a guy who's you know, life hasn't panned out right for him. It's it's a movie where everyone kind of comes to understand where everyone else is. And yeah, it's a movie ultimately about learning how to fall down uh, well and get back up and just keep going. That's Throwdown, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all it's just, yeah, it's a kind of a testament to these people just they have dreams and they just they in life is just not gone the way they want to. Like there's a girl named Mona and she wants to be uh, I forget if it's a singer or an actress she wants to be a, a famous performer she, but she wants to be famous I think yeah more than anything else but like the only agent she's gotten has basically just coerced her into being like into in prostitution so she hasn't had any success and then yeah then there's this young up-and-comer who wants to fight the former champ but yeah we find out he's some kind of scam artist who just is using it to to I guess create a character or generate sympathy for himself even though he's not really having suffering from p potential blindness even though but he is a gifted uh judo uh, practitioner and then yeah and then Louis Koo the lead he's just the, like he's this judo wunder kid who's really just fallen down on in the hard times and and so the, it's just sort of like the the bond between the three of them and it's 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 a it's a very strange movie, but just watching it, I couldn't help but just get swept away by a lot of the moments between these three, and it's frequently very very beautiful. It's a staggeringly beautiful film. Uh, yeah. It's maybe the best looking of the bunch. I mean, yeah. you can certainly, as I was alluding to, you can really feel the difference between these later films and the earlier ones in that they're all expertly crafted, but. There is another level in these in these latter two because this movie is just incredible looking. There's also um, what I love in this film, and I think we'll see in in some of the ones down the line, or at least the one that I watched. But um, these beautiful, like graceful, playful moments, like the the money scene where they're chasing the money down the street, and yeah, I I don't know. While I was watching that or after it ended, like, so there's the sequence where they're like grabbing money in these little schemes and, uh, and it's just flying in the streets and they're being chased and, uh, he like just slows down time and it just is this really, uh, whimsical thing. And I, I, I can't really describe it or why it's so moving, but it was just like, just beautiful thing to watch. Yeah, I know this is like yeah. uh, consciously directed as a, a tribute to Kurosawa, but in many ways, this reminded me of of sort of Fellini, uh, in, in that it oh, is sure. very mm. sort of vignette driven, slice of life, and it has these moments where where if you look at this in the macro, you might say, "Well, it's nonsense. It's it's kind of it doesn't it's not cohesive." Blah blah blah. But in the micro, there are these moments that are just perfect and they they hit you in such a way that you most directors can't pull that off it's some something mm -hmm. you'll see a lot in really peak fellini stuff like la dolce vita this i think parallels that quite a bit 
Yeah, I think I think the the blocking and the kind of the the way Toe moves his camera, it's I think he's very clearly is a, a fan of Kurosawa, who frankly Kurosawa moved a camera through a space like no one else, and you know I think honestly it's been nearly twenty years since I've watched Kurosawa's The Lower Depths, and I still remember how in a film that almost takes place singularly in one like small room how the camera moves and weaves between all of the characters in this incredibly cogent fashion it's 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 like a magic trick unfolding frankly and this film has that element to it honestly johnny toe generally has that same kind of understanding of how to make things work and um, i think yeah the, these great notes these strange elements like like john mentioned the the money scene i think is it's such an odd scene because there's so many things that play in it. Um, I mean, the narrative of it is essentially the uh, Louis Ku's character, who is basically on a downward spiral, finally comes into some money and he decides what's the best thing to do when you come up with money is just bet it all, just gamble it obsessively. And he actually starts making a ton of money. He makes like 400,000 Hong Kong dollars off of like maybe 50,000 Hong Kong. So he's like way up and he just puts it all back down on the table again and he loses it. And his friend, trying to help him, just grabs $400,000 and runs out the door and runs down the street being chased by the guys operating the gambling casino, because obviously that's frowned upon. And the money's falling everywhere because it's just loose notes and she's just holding them to her chest and running in high heels. And the money's flowing everywhere and they're trying to chase her, but they're also trying to catch the money as it goes everywhere. And by the in the next scene, they clarify she makes it away with $28,000. So like $370,000 <laughs> is gone. Um, so it's like, what was it worth? But it was worth it because in that moment, she intervened to break his cycle. She she broke his gambling pattern and she did something. She intervened in a very conscious way. But there's also a weird part at the end of that scene where she's running away and then Louis Ku's character comes in to block the way and they beat the shit out of him, obviously, because he's the guy who plays the bed and runs away. They assume that they're in league with each other. And then she comes back in while the, the gamblers are picking up all the money, trying to reclaim all their money. And she shows up and she's like 10 feet away from them, picking up more notes. And it's just like three strangers in an in a bizarrely empty Hong Kong. It's worth noting that like Hong Kong in this in these films particularly are it's, you know, considering Hong Kong is, I think, maybe the most densely populated city in the world. There are shots in Johnny Toe films routinely where there's just no one around and it just seems very probably unlikely i've never been to hong kong but anyway, it's like it's just an empty street except for three strangers just picking up as much money as they can and two of those strangers would surely like to kill the third one who's only 10 feet away but the money's on the ground and they've got to gather it and it's a very un like that seemed to me like kind of a fellini-esque honestly mm -hmm. yes as like a portrait of society of a group of people just scrabbling they all have their own motivations maybe they'd be better off if they worked together i don't know it's a really odd scene and this film is full of them there's a later scene where they rescue a balloon just all the, and they just gather mm -hmm. they have three people high rescuing a balloon just because you know it's it's yeah this it's so strange as a film and um, it feels narratively so unfocused and yet this is johnny toe's favorite of his own films this is you know his film his most personal i guess um 
and because it almost eschews narrative entirely it's really just comes down to personal character motivations and yeah. like you say those little moments between yeah people. and those moments much like with the Fellini films and why I'm so fond of them personally is, is because of that because they do reveal so much about the person crafting them and that is fantastic stuff unfortunately We've got a wrap. Uh, Jake has a hard out here, so I'm going to give him a graceful exit point if he doesn't have time to sit through my ending spiel. Uh, instead of doing putovers, Jake, what I want to do is just pick one of these four films that you'd recommend to people as an entry point. Yeah, well, uh, you I mean, you, you did kind of say it while we were discussing it, but um, Exiled was the first uh, Johnny Toe film I ever saw. Uh, it blew me away a decade or so ago whenever I watched it first, and... Uh, I was delighted to find that it holds up. It's an absolute, perfectly crafted masterpiece. And I think if you watch it, you are in for a treat. Uh, so yeah, check out Exiled. And then uh, if you want more, then follow that up with the mission. And then go wherever your heart takes you. Yeah, you're going to want more. You're going to want more. Well, Jake, feel yeah. free to shoot out if you're so inclined. I know well, you've thanks, got places thanks, to guys. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll uh, catch you all later. All right. For episode uh, two or three, whichever one you're back for, we'll have you. And now we can fun. start on the real uh, <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah, now let's all just right. extend it in Jake's absence for another hour. All right, back, back to the mission. <laughs> uh, in reality, I'm just going to, you know. Ask the same question to both of you, gentlemen. You have the same answer. Uh, Sean, where would you recommend people jump in uh, with, with Toe? Uh, it's hard to not say X. I mean, it depends on who, but Exile because I watched it uh, with my partner and she has never seen any Johnny Toe or probably any like Hong Kong films in general. Um, and she was very taken with it. Um, but I mean, there are also people, you know, if you're super into, you know, John Woo stuff or just into like really like, you know, a ton of, uh, shooting <laughs> action cinema and you kind of like know what this is going to be, just go with a hero never dies. I think it would just be a great. All right. Uh, I think I would probably pick uh, as much as I said that I, I think XL might be the easiest entry point. I think I, I started with the mission and I'm happy I did because I, I feel like even though it is a little later than A Hero Never Dies, it, it doesn't feel that way. It feels like uh, kind of a rough draft for some of the later stuff. In And that's not an insult for me. I, I tend to be someone who prefers uh, in music and in film a lot of times I prefer earlier work for whatever reason. Uh, call me crazy. But the more refined it gets, I feel like it loses a little bit of an edge and uh i feel like the mission has a, a particular edge to it that i am very fond of and i think that that mall scene is something that's going to hook you and make you come back to more of his work so i'm going to go with the mission uh jack what would you say yeah um i mean we, we're covering here really again it's worth noting like johnny toe has directed comedies romances and i think he has at least one musical under his under his belt so we, we're only touching on where he comes from so if you're not into movies that mostly revolve around gunfire there are other entry points too but if what we're discussing here 
uh, Exiled was one of the was one of the first Johnny Toe films I saw, but it was certainly it's it's probably my favorite still. Uh, and I'd seen that before, but this time around I watched The Mission and then immediately followed it up with Exiled. And frankly, if you were able to do that, that's a fucking great afternoon frankly so yeah i guess one of those two or both if you can do it um i i guarantee if you are inclined towards these kind of films you you won't stop there so uh on any of these movies go and throw down a little maybe throw down as a wild card but any of the other three if you see them you're probably going to want watch more i think throw down is maybe maybe something you'll graduate to you know it's kind of like the, the stranger film yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I would concur. Although I, I honestly, it might be my favorite of the bunch. It, I feel like it's so unique and interesting that it might be the one I come back to because it's it is uh, it's sticking with me already, and I feel like it's it's not going to stop. A lot of these are genre films that are very excellent and tightly crafted, and I suppose the the fault with that sort of thing is it, it might not be something that kind of lingers in the mind in the way that. Something like Throwdown is for me. Uh, but, yeah, that's probably not the best entry point if you want something indicative. So we'll maybe save that for a later viewing. Let's move into the old conclusion here. Uh, Jack, where can the people find you on the internet if they're so inclined? I can be found on Twitter, at RealJackEason. That's R-E-A-L-J-A-C-K-E-A-S-O-N. I'm on there too much saying stupid shit, but shoot me shoot me a message if you want all right uh i'm sure we'll get lots of takers there <laughs> we we have historically <laughs> yes <laughs> i i don't have a twitter i i'm not one of those lunatics uh you know i i try to live my life in in physical space uh but i will give you jake's because he's he's not here to do so uh you can find jake at uh, at jake tropila t-r-o-p-i-l-a uh he's one of these twitter madmen so get at him there uh sean how about you uh you can find me on litterbox at sean glennis you can um find out what kind of star rating i'm giving to stuff i just watched um so if you're wondering what i gave sister emmanuel earlier today uh you'll have to go there to find out but you won't be disappointed Okay, so Sean also has Twitter, but he's going to keep that one secretive. He doesn't want to interact with you, the audience. He just wants you to uh, read his opinions. So that's fair enough. You know, you could also contact us as as a whole at optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Uh, we're, we're checking that inbox. People like to say I am, but that's a total fucking lie. So uh, it'll get read, though. <laughs> Rest assured. Does that mean no one's checking it? Because I know I'm not. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, I check it occasionally. But unfortunately, uh, Steve Cuff uh, and his PR wisdom has signed us up for approximately uh, 1,000 pieces of daily junk mail. So it, it, it gets to be a bit obtrusive. But we will read your emails, gentle listeners. You could also help out the podcast. By, uh, we're going to have a link in the description to iTunes where you can click on that, leave us a review. Uh, Five-star review is going to increase our visibility, help more people hear us, help us to create more content. Uh, we also have a Patreon. Um, if you donate even $3 a month, Steve is actually going to mail you some of his uh, his physical media. He's doing that for every patron we have. Uh, if you bump it up to $5 a month, you'll get mentioned on the air. Uh, you could be 
Ryan, Dustin, or even Paula, who's a, who's our super supporter. But if you were at Paula's level, you could even dictate content. Uh, we'll do an episode based on your ideas, or maybe just bring back this putover segment uh, as as Paula requested, because uh, that that's something she likes. She likes to make me stammer over things I haven't watched every week. So uh, there we go. Uh, beyond that, I think we are done uh jack you want the last word your name sounds vaguely like jake oh i am bad at the last word yeah me too me too (laughs) it's it's all right who needs it anyway (laughs) 